You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Gun violence. You hear a lot about this in the media. Maybe it's one of those stories that you're like, ah, yeah, but not in my neighborhood. Well, it's kind of going up everywhere. And this isn't just, I'm going to read an article about King County, the county that I live in. It's gun violence statistics. But this is happening on a nationwide basis. This I get I get uh, input from police officers all the time saying, hey, it's not just Seattle. It's not just Portland. It's not just Chicago. It's all over. So this is more of a sociological thing that is going on. And we're going to kind of read some of the some of the reasons maybe why it's happening this way. Why is it happening during a pandemic? A lot of people, I think they thought, well, people are just going to be staying home. Therefore, gun violence reduced. Not the case. It's gone the other way. It has actually gone up and gone up pretty dramatically, especially in places like King County that have had kind of a rise in the gun violence anyway. And the pandemic just kind of, you know, putting out fire with gasoline. It just doesn't work very well, right? It's just boom, up in smoke. That's what we're talking about. If you're new here, but my name is Sean Reynolds. I'm a real estate guy. I own a couple of real estate companies, a couple of side hustles, but more importantly, I'm your host of the Real Estate Seattle Real Estate Podcast, and I read the news. So let's do that. Let's chit chat. Let's read the news. Let's get into it. Let's see what is going on. Okay. King County Prosecutor reveals homicides and shootings continue to increase. And this is a Q13 Fox our local Fox affiliate. I don't read a ton of Fox, um, but then I also don't read a ton of CNN. Somewhere in the middle, you got to find that happy medium. But I thought this article was pretty good because I I keep reading so much stuff about, oh, that kid got killed. Oh, that kid died. Chop, we had a couple. I mean, this is just ongoing, right? Gun violence is up dramatically in central Puget Sound, according to the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office Crime Strategies Unit report released Tuesday. It's been out for a couple of weeks. In the first three months of this year, fatal shootings have increased 34% compared to the last four years, the report found. Now, normally I'd say, okay, well, yeah, 34%. That's pretty dramatic because that means a bunch of people are losing their lives. Black or African-American victims were the most predominant, vastly outnumbering all the other demographics. In all, 16 people lost their lives to gun violence since January. And black or African-American victims, mainly men, mainly under the age of like 25. That's what you consistently see. It's just, oh man, oh man, that's somebody's kid. And I talk about fly little birdie fly. It's when you get your kid to that age, you used to be like 18 and the kid would be able to kind of act on their own, kind of be self-sufficient, kind of not you need your help as a parent anymore. Well, it's gone from 18 to 25 now. You need to get them to 25 and then hopefully fly little birdie fly, leave the nest. You don't need to be around mom and dad anymore. Or maybe in birds, I think it's just mom. I think the dad just really isn't around anyway. But enough bird talk. It's it's heartbreaking for parents who get their kids to age 25, and then they get gunned down. I mean, that's just, that's terrible. That's awful. Um, and as a parent, I, when I read these stories, I'm, I'm always first and foremost, that 
really sucks. Officials say 16-year-old Earl Estrella was gunned down last week. It, it happened Friday evening on Waters Avenue South in Seattle's Rainier Beach neighborhood. So this is to the south and east of downtown Seattle. It's pretty close to Lake Washington. It's in an area, Rainier Beach has had some amazing athletes come out of it, but it's also been plagued with a lot of crime. And so this kid literally opened up his front door and got blasted and killed, shot literally in his front entryway. Investigators say he was shot and killed answering a knock at the apartment's front door. His murder is still under investigation, but the shooting had not been counted in numbers, the prosecutor shared. I thought it was a toy, not a real gun, Australia's neighbor told Q13 News. Nobody else was hurt, even though one bullet flew through the neighbor's window. She asked Q13 News to conceal her identity, fearing retribution. This was the baddest, worst day of my life, she said. Violence is an act of desperation, said Dan Satterberg, the county's top attorney. Satterberg said that desperation is growing over last year as more families fall deeper into poverty. Data surrounding gunfire and violence has been recorded by his office since 2017. The pandemic exacerbated inequity, he added. All right. I think that's what's going on. People are feeling hopeless. They are like, hey, I'm, I'm poor to begin with. I have no way out, maybe except a life of crime and drugs. That seems to be a consistent pattern. You've got, you know, you've, you've got people just basically taking each other out. That is ongoing on, on, on the regular. And you throw a pandemic in there where people are already feeling hopeless and now you got to stay home. You can't go out to your favorite restaurant. Um, you know, you can't go to the gym, not saying people shooting each other or going to the gym, but you get what I'm saying is that you don't have these normal options where people are able to probably focus a little bit of their attention away from the, the daily issues going on. And it's hard enough for people with means to do it. You know, you see all these people in Hollywood or who was it? Who was it that had, uh, Oh, they took a picture from a drone of their massive yacht and they were like, oh, look at me. I'm socially isolating in the middle of the whatever sea. Just a real jackass thing to do at the beginning of a pandemic, right? The rest of us are just staying home going, okay, I guess I won't go to the movies because they're closed. I guess I won't go to the, you know, restaurant. It's closed. I won't go to my favorite sports team because they're not playing. It's just a really hard, difficult time. And I think a lot of that has been, it's shown up in the gun violence. People are depressed, they're frustrated, they're feeling hopeless. And when something comes up that bugs them, maybe something went sideways on some kind of deal, they're taking out the handgun and they're shooting each other. That's literally what I think is going on. That's kind of a a, a real estate guy's breakdown of what's going on. Because this isn't happening in just Seattle Portland. It's happening all over. We've had an increase in violence in general. One of the things I didn't anticipate in the pandemic year is the increase, the the attorney said, uh, noting violence had increased by 36% in 2020. In the first three months of 2021, we are continuing that disturbing trend. And I read these stories all the time. I don't read a lot of them to you because I think there's a point at which you go, okay, yep, we get it. 
And I think we have to kind of focus not on the specific individual stories, but on the storylines of, okay, we know that things are getting worse. What can we do to work our way out of it? And that's a tough one. Because uh, I watched the video associated with this article. And a lot of what was said by somebody who's working with community related programs is that if you focus all of the attention on basically the funding of ambulances, that means you're always coming from behind, you're never going to get out in front of this issue. And by ambulances, you mean having the capability to deal with all this gun violence once it's already happened. And what the rest of us would hope for is, hey, is there a way we can get out in front of this? And a lot of it has to do with the community outreach programs, getting to kids young enough to tell them, hey, you can go diff down a different lifestyle. We know that gangbanging pays, but you could also get killed. That's kind of the bottom line. Everybody knows drug dealing pays. It pays way more than anything. But you could also get killed. And that's a lot of what's going on. You, you hear about, you know, the little comments of, I don't want to have retribution against me by having my name out there. That kind of tells you that it's not just a random one off. They know who is doing this killing. We know who is doing some of this killing. Right? I mean, we just do. And um, because that element is out there, I think people kind of hunker down and go, geez, I just wish this would go away. This is terrible. It's not a good look. And it's happening all over. It's happening in all major metropolitan markets, right? It's an ongoing trend that you can see in a lot of, not all markets. I should I should qualify that because somebody's going to say, hey, my hometown of crime's actually gone down. This is an ongoing trend that is scary. It's, it's just scary. Crime is going up. It's not going down. Nearly 75% of all gunfire is happening outside of Seattle. So far in 2021, 16 people had been killed and more than 200 incident, 250 incidents of gunfire were recorded. The majority of those victims are black and African American men, 24 years old and younger. That, and this hasn't really changed much, right? That is, who this is, you know, they are shooting each other, and it's happening to them. And it's pretty specific to that demographic. Obviously, not all of it is. But it's that is the major ongoing trend. And when I read all these stories, I'm always I don't really want to even look at the details. But I'm like, Oh, man, that's another black kid that got killed. You know, chop, we had two the um, Anderson kid, the first one that got killed, the 19 year old, um, they know who did it, they've identified him, they've charged him. But that kid took off. He's like, uh, Marcel Long, I think it was, is his name. That kid took off. He's on the run. Hey, I know I shot somebody. Got to leave town, got to skip town. So that's what he did. Collecting the data helps county leaders choose where to invest public dollars for public good. The county council just appropriated $2 million bucks to work with nonprofits who will go out and contact people who are most likely to be involved in gun violence. And I think that is good. I think that's, I think outreach is good, but it's got to start with the family. It's got to start at home. And that's where I think so many of these kids don't have a home life. They don't have a responsible adult who is there all the time to tell them, hey, 
You shouldn't be doing that. It's it's a struggle. It's a struggle to keep those kids on the straight and narrow, because they are so drawn to the lifestyle that they've engaged in, that is ultimately leading them to them to their death. I mean, that's just that's kind of how I see it. And you read these stories, and you kind of look into it. And you're like, Oh, yep, not good. Not good. This is why the system continues to fail over and over again, said Sean Good, executive director at Choose 180. Good's organization offers a diversion program in King County offering young people a way to avoid sentencing if participants can't turn their life away from crime. And then the question comes up was, how many chances do we give these people before we just realize, okay, they need some pretty serious deterrent in order to turn their life around. So there's that super fine line between enabling a lifestyle, and we talk about this with the homeless community as well, between enabling a lifestyle and maybe some tough love that these guys need. Is jail the answer? No, but if they show a continued you know, pathway towards violence, you got to keep, you know, the general population safe as well. So this, these are tough calls to make. I mean, just brutal calls. However, investments have to make a larger impact with young people making a material change in their daily lives to produce a lasting impact, he said. And so much of it has to start at home with their upbringing, with their value system of, Hey, maybe I shouldn't get into that because I might lose my life. But then I think the the overall uh, risk, you know, benefit analysis is such that I can make a shit ton of money. Sorry for swearing. I can make a, a ton of money and um, maybe get out. Unfortunately, most all of them don't get out. They just don't. They it it doesn't go that way. It doesn't go that direction. And I have read I've read so many news stories on this, and it's like, oh man, that is terrible. That sucks. If we only invest in emergency rooms and ambulances, then we are going to get uh, only going to get people when they are at their most critical moments of their lives. You know, possibly at the tail end of their life because they've been shot. That's when they need an emergency room and an ambulance. By then, it's too late. Damage has possibly been done. You know, you got to get up to get to them, I think, way earlier than that. And there are a lot of groups out there that are really working their communities. I did one not long ago on Rainier Beach, um, where they set up a tent and in the uh, Safeway grocery store parking lot, which also has a liquor store in it that's, you know, had a lot of controversy because so many shootings happen out of that area. And there are various community groups doing their best to try and step in. And give these kids some hope that, hey, you don't have to do this lifestyle, but then they don't have a lot of options. So what are you really going to tell them? Are you going to tell them, ah, oh, yeah, go work at McDonald's for maybe minimum wage instead of making that four, five, six grand a month working just a few hours at a time out pitching your goods? I mean, you know, logically, nobody's going to go to work for McDonald's, unfortunately, you know, the risk benefit analysis there from a 52 year old's perspective is you might lose your life going down that road. That's the brutal aspect that I think gets overlooked because when you're young, you're never going to die. You know, we've seen that with the whole coronavirus thing, right? I'm not going to, if I get the Rona, I'm going to be fine. And odds are they will. You get shot with a gun, Odds are you might not be fine. That's where the whole kind of logic breaks down, right? Vicarious trauma inflicts those beyond the injured. 
Australia's neighbor worries what future is in store for her four-year-old daughter if the violence continues to escalate. I wish there was peace and happiness, she said. Seattle police have not released information about a possible motive or a suspect description in the 16-year-old boy's case. The investigation remains active and detectives asked anyone with information about the incident to call Seattle Police Department's Violent Crimes Tip Line at 206-233-5000. So many of these stories, they kind of just happen and there's no resolution. Seattle Police Department doesn't have the manpower to basically cover a lot of these. There isn't a ton of follow-up because they don't have the manpower to do it. They're doing the best they can. But, you know, when you've been defunded and you've got an emphasis on all kinds of other stuff, and then, you know, during last summer, you throw in the protests, the peaceful, peaceful protests that required a lot of police support to hold the peaceful protests together. And when I say peaceful, I mean violent, rioting protesters. That's what I really mean, because that's what happened, right? Because otherwise, you don't really need the police support, do you? It's when they go through and bash out windows and loot stores, that's when you need police support. And that gets taken away from the manpower of handling cases like this. And so many other crimes that are basically just kind of going by the wayside. We know the violent crime is going up. We know that that crime is going up. And what are we able to do about it? Well, right now, not much. We're kind of sitting on the sidelines going, oh, that's not good. Whew, another one? Whew, not good. I mean, that's that's the way it kind of feels like, right? When you're looking in from the outside and you're going, oh, man, not another one. Not another parent that's lost their kid. You, you kind of feel hopeless, right? And I think that's how a lot of these kids feel that are out doing this stuff. They feel hopeless because it just doesn't seem like there's much to, you know, look for future-wise um, when they've got their whole lives in front of them. It's just they haven't been shown a way to get from point A to point B. And that's where I've kind of been. You can't just give people money. You got to give them instructions on here's how you get it. Here's how you create that career. Here's how you keep that career going. Here's the end result. That requires a lot of people. It was um, I was watching a documentary on why there are so few black owners of dispensaries, of weed stores. They're, it's totally set up to, to get a black ownership in. And one of the reasons that it caught my eye was I remember a news story. Oh, was it at the beginning of the pandemic, I think? And it involved the Rain Man, one of my favorite athletes of all time, Sean Kemp. And he was opening up a, a recreational weed store. And um, they were using his name. And when I got, you know, very excited for him because that, that guy's an incredible athlete, Sean Kemp. I mean, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, you watch them, you know, playing the, in their heyday. Those guys were unstoppable. I mean, Sean Kemp coming down the middle, one of his tomahawk jams, there was kind of like nothing else in sports like that. I mean, he was just a runaway freight train, boom, down the middle and get one of these crazy lob passes from Gary Payton. Um, and just, it, you cleared out, you just let, you, you let him dunk at home. Cause otherwise, you know, you're going to take the brunt force of, of that dude. And that's not a pretty thing. And so to see Sean Kemp, very happy to see him opening up a weed store and then reading further into that story, he had a 5% ownership, 
Was that planned? I don't know. Did they use his name to get the license? I don't know. 5% doesn't really count for much of anything. No, it doesn't. And uh, the documentary I was reading on, you know, black ownership in the weed industry, it was like, hey, you can give us money and you can give us a license, but we need all those wraparound services that other people have had for years because they've got business owners in their family. You need to have that legal counsel, an attorney, somebody available. You need to have that older dude in your family who tells you, okay, do this, don't do that. Well, how come? Just trust me. Just do it that way. And, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm in my 20s. I don't know what the F I'm doing. I'll listen to you. You need that person in your life because otherwise these things are going to go sideways. You need venture capital people, people who can bring in some money and make it go that are on your side. Otherwise, they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to take that ownership. They're going to take that 95% ownership and go, thank you very little. Appreciate the use of your name. Um, we don't pretty much need you that much anymore. And I certainly hope that isn't the case with Sean Kemp. But um, you see that storyline a lot. So you need you need attorneys, you need people who know how to run books, you need, you know, um, accountants, CPAs, you need all and you don't need those people, but you need a resource. Hey, who is somebody that I can reach out to with this one little question? Because otherwise, your business is going to go down at some point because you're going to make a mistake that somebody else has already gone through that you weren't aware of. And that is why you can't just give people money. You can't give people businesses. You can't give people real estate because they won't know what to do with it when they've got it. There's all these other services running a business or running, you know, land or development. There's all this other stuff because it's a complex game. And so that's where I think in the black community, a lot of that is kind of forgotten about, left by the wayside. They don't have those resources and that sucks. And so the more resources along those lines, in addition to, you know, creating equity, which is basically giving people stuff. In addition to that, you've got to have the backdrop that so many of us just kind of take for granted. Like for instance, in my family, yep, I'm white privileged white dude. And I've got uh, family members who um, have relied heavily upon attorneys because business requires attorneys heavily upon CPAs, um, you know, certified public accountants, um, heavily upon bookkeepers. Hey, you got to have somebody to keep your book straight. You got to have somebody to help you pay taxes because if you don't pay your taxes, you won't be getting all that Fed money. And that's what happened during the coronavirus. A lot of people who didn't pay their taxes. All right, here's the downfall. You don't get that federal support. That happened a lot, a lot. You read it, you read about, you know, communities, lower income communities and all those businesses, they didn't qualify. How come? Because their books were cooked. You know what I mean? And you read about that and you don't really get the super low down, but you're like, okay, well, here's what happened. They didn't, you know, they didn't record all their income. They didn't record the income of their employees. A lot of them are on cash basis. They probably qualified if they had things lined up correctly, but they've gone down a different road. And, you know, you don't know those things until you get into it. And then it's like, it's too late. All right. Could have used that help earlier. That would have really helped me out. Whereas I think the rest of us that kind of grew up with these aids of having people in our family, and I go back to the family structure, we've got those systems in place. And that is what 
allows us to kind of go out and keep doing things because I've got that one person. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when he he filed bankruptcy. I'm going to reach out to him and see how that went. You know, those things. Whereas, you know, if you don't have those people in your life to reach out to, you're flying blind and you're dependent upon any joker that comes along and says, hey, let's do a deal. Let's make this happen. I'll make it worth your while. Yeah, until the end when it's not. All right, so that is my kind of thought on the why you've got homicides increasing. You got a lot of people who are, you know, they're going down lifestyles that uh, are tough. And I think there's a lot of heartbreak involved. And um, it's been exacerbated by the shutdowns of the coronavirus, a lot of frustration, a lot of like, hopelessness, I think. And um, I don't think if you look at the numbers, take Portland, for instance, look at the numbers there. I don't think you disagree with me. I don't think you would. You might have some other reasons as to why. But hey, look at the shootings happening on an, a regular nightly basis in a lot of these communities. It's happening. People are frustrated. People feel like they don't have any hope. And that sucks. I wish I could say, hey, um, I won't be covering these stories anymore. But this is also part of life. This is part of what, you know, as certain societies work through, you got to cover them, you got to give them the um, coverage that they deserve, because this is a story that affects a lot of people just out, you know, it's not just the people who get shot or do the shooting, it's communities in general. And so I try and uh, pay my respects to the people involved and um, bring light to the coverage and give you my opinion. At the end of the day, though, I am not a sociologist, I am not a police officer. I'm a real estate guy kind of saying it how I think it goes for good or for bad. So that's me. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Um, that's it for me on this one. But yeah, homicides and shootings going up. No end in sight. I wish I could say I'd, you know, be able to say, all right, yeah, we got this, this and this that are going to kind of help quell things. But maybe as we end up, you know, more and more businesses go back to, to work, we kind of get back more in that flow. I think you'll hopefully see this calm down or quell down a little bit. That's my hope, you know, endlessly optimistic look on these things. Don't know if it'll happen one way or the other, but I just rather see people not shoot each other because that doesn't end up well. And um, I don't want to see any more parents, you know, heartbroken that their kids you know, got to that fly birdie fly phase and there's no more flying. That sucks. All right. That's it for me. Again, I'm Sean Reynolds from Summit Properties Northwest, Reynolds Decline Appraisal. We'll see you soon. Till then, stay safe. Bye for now. to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.